Welcome everybody to our webinar at Victory XR this week. And we have a very important topic because as many of you know, we have more than 10 metaversities opening and launching their classes this fall around the world and in the United States, both mostly in higher education, but a few in K-12. And so we're recording 30 minutes of information and we're, it's going to be tightly packed. We're going to be succinct with our answers and get right to a lot of information because what we have done is brought two, probably two of the three leading experts in the world on how to build a course curriculum inside a virtual reality platform. And why are they the world's leading experts? Because nobody has done it more than they have. So uh, first, I have Dr. Musina Morris from Morehouse College, formerly the inorganic chemistry professor on the Metaversity campus, but now director of Morehouse Metaversity. Then I have Dr. Ovel Hamilton, uh, Dr. Ovel Hamilton, United States Navy retired, I believe, and uh, a teacher, professor of world history at Morehouse College. Now, during the pandemic, Morehouse College uh, realized that there was a better way than, than just putting kids into Zoom or, or some other webinar like, like, like we're doing right here. And so they wanted to find a way to create better kinesthetic learning, something that engaged students, something that was interesting, and something that worked better. And so they reached out to us. We worked with them on a digital twin metaversity campus. And literally within 10 weeks of conception, they'd figured out how to do it. We'd figured out how to do it. And they began teaching their spring 2021 classes in, on their metaversity campus. And so what we want to do is to help other professors, other instructors get a better understanding of how you construct classes, courses, coursework inside a virtual reality campus, not just for one class at some point in the semester, but week after week after week. And so really, it's a complete paradigm shift in the way you think about, about teaching but at another level, it's all very similar to what professors and instructors are already doing. So, Dr. Morris, uh, <laughs> what I would like you to do first is just briefly tell us um, what you teach, what you taught in your first semester. And then, Dr. Hamilton, as soon as she's done, would you uh, talk about what course you taught? And don't, we don't need to go into yet on specific, all, all the specifics, but let's just cover what you taught. So, so our viewers understand the diversity of classes that can be taught on a Metaversity campus. So thus far, I have taught Advanced Inorganic Chemistry Lab, which was my first course that I taught the spring of 2021. I have also taught General Chemistry, which was the linked course with the Hop Scholars, and it was in conjunction with social problems. So we had to come up with real world examples in that General Chemistry course. Then I taught again analytical chemistry lab and they use virtual reality as their culminating project where we flipped the classroom and had them develop their own analytical chemistry lab as a project. I've used virtual reality as a part of my undergraduate research course as well in chemistry. In this particular semester, I will be utilizing virtual reality as the classroom for teaching exceptional educational learners for our education majors, as well as methodology in research and education. Dr. Hamilton. Nice. Thank you, uh, Steve. Um, uh, welcome, everybody. Um, thank you for having me. 
Uh, basically, I taught uh, world history. Uh, I'm also a graduate of Morehouse in 1993. Uh, but I taught world history, 111 uh, one, and 112. I taught 112 first, uh, which was from the 1500s to the, uh, to the uh, present world. And also taught 111, which is from the beginning of the world to the 1500s. And those courses, like say a basic uh, is for usually freshmen, but sometimes the seniors missed or juniors missed those courses and they had to come back and take them. So we have a plethora of students taking those courses. So basically those are the two that I taught and I'm preparing now to teach history of the African diaspora, which uh, the journey for civil rights movement that I taught with uh, Steve Grubbs and uh, that they set up was perfect for that class. So that'll be perfect uh, information and uh, tools that I can use for that course. Okay, perfect. So let's let's talk next about the the types of ways you can present information in on a metaversity classroom. So uh, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways that it can be done. Talk to us about, and we'll start with you on this one, Dr. Hamilton. What are some of the ways that you presented information? Okay. Well, first in, in world history, um, like I say, everybody, I know the concept is history is boring. <laughs> and so what happened in uh, virtuality, it made it come to life because um, instead of just lecturing in classroom, and we did still do lectures in classroom, and we did, and we did lectures on uh, what we call our learning management system, Blackboard, which is online when everybody had to go online during the pandemic. But virtuality had a, a dynamic component where not only I can talk and lecture about the Roman Colosseum, I can actually take the kids to the Roman Colosseum and we can do lectures in the Roman Colosseum. And same thing with Stonehenge. And when I was in World War II, uh, teaching World War II history, uh, World War II battleship, we can stand on the battleship back and explain how the historic battles went down. So it's a dynamic that was needed to give you a more experiential experience and more a learning experience uh, than what you had just by sitting in a classroom and just by uh, looking at pictures and things like that, when you actually be a part of the experience. Excellent. Dr. Morris. So I'm a chemist, so I teach in the sciences. And originally we were all remote. So when we first started in my advanced inorganic chemistry course, it was necessary for me to understand how can I bring molecules which you can't see to life. One of the things that I treasured and I did the most was that I could use it for two different types of pedagogies. It can be skill-based where they were able to actually put together molecules and actually visualize them, move them around and see them from different angles. That was a part of it. But then I could also do some problem-based learning. So that means that I created a real world case study for them that they could embody and they could be a part of, and then they can follow through on investigating the problem, solving it, working together and partnering together while we were all in a synchronous learning environment. So that was the major way. I, I think that you can use all types of different active learning strategies in the virtual reality classroom. But those were the two ways that I started out using it. And then I did a flipped classroom in the fall semester with my students where I was able to teach them how to use the technology in order to bring to life some of the lessons that they felt like should be brought to life in a particular way. And they were able to record and to present this information to the class and actually then all sit and watch themselves as their avatar selves present the work and do scientific presentations. So that was part of scientific literacy and helping them 
get proper feedback from the class. And so those were the ways that I used it. There are plenty of more ways that you can use it, but it gives them the auditory, the visual, and the kinesthetic learning all at once. And so that's really important, especially in the sciences, because they need to know how to safely and efficiently move around lab spaces, and they need to be able to increase their visual spatial intelligence, and virtual reality does that. All right, Dr. Morris, let's start with you on this one, then Dr. Hamilton. Some of the other tools are the uh, 360 global field trips, right. uh, bringing in a 2D video, using a, a slide deck on, on the screens, uh, or potentially um, using some of the other tools like those, bringing in a guest lecturer. If you used any of those, could you talk about how you use those to present information or maybe how you intend to in the future? So we, there are a lot of tools on the Engage platform that you can utilize and they're very easily accessible by students. So one of the, one of my favorites is the 3D pen. So the 3D pen allows students to be in groups and actually talk out things about trends in science or data. They could extrapolate their data and they can actually see it and visualize it. That was really important for my chemistry students. Let me, let me pause you there because that concept of the 3D pen, that's if you've never used one before, it's really difficult for people to understand. Can you break that down so that somebody who never heard of this before understands what you're talking about, a 3D pen? Imagine as I was talking right now that as I was explaining this to you, I was also writing with a very distinctly colored pen, everything that I was describing. And so in real time, as I'm talking, I'm also illustrating or demonstrating the trends that can happen. For chemistry, we always talk about the X and Y axis, your independent, your dependent variable. So students were able to talk about the relationship of the data that was presented in the class and draw that out for everyone else and then be able to see it. And you can actually see it. More than seeing it, you can take pictures of it and then take those pictures and put them in different places around the room. You can actually use that and it'll be a full object that can be moved around and passed around from student to student. So if you didn't want students to rotate in the classroom, you could just pass their data around. You could just pass the extrapolation around and people can make uh, remarks about it and then pass it back to the next person. So all of those things you can do using a 3D pen. Wonderful. Dr. Hamilton, talk to us a little bit about how you used videos or 360 field trips or uh, guest lecturers. Yeah, I, I well, focus on the 360 field trips, which was amazing because, um, like I say, during the pandemic or even cost-wise, uh, maybe everybody can't go to Japan. Maybe everybody can't go to China. But in virtuality, I took my kids on a trip to Japan. And we actually, uh, like I said, we studied the history of Japan. And we actually went on a field trip and saw the historical movements and all, all the societies of Japan as well. Same thing with China. We visited the Great Wall of China. People may not been to the Great Wall, but in virtual reality, I can go stand on the Great Wall in the three in the three sixty video and things like that. So those help uh, with field trips. Those help with the experiences with students, and it gives you, like, say, that real effect of like you're being there without uh, spending four or five. I think it's four or five thousand. I go to China, maybe. So I'm not real sure. <laughs> I haven't checked the price yet, but you actually get experience for 
a little less than three hundred dollars with a virtual reality headset to actually see uh, be on the Great Wall of China, and those really uh, are coming to play as well. When I did the uh, Journey for Civil Rights, when we were actually walking the steps of Martin Luther King, where they marched uh, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the March on Washington, and also being at the Lorraine Motel, those kind of experience that virtual reality brings uh, gives you an idea, uh, gives you a lifetime experience on what happened during that time. Yeah, when when I was shooting that uh, at the Lorraine Motel, right. it was really impactful to actually stand there in Memphis, and you know you'd, you've seen that scene a thousand times with Jesse Jackson, right, Mr. King, and so for students to be able to be there and see it and experience that's uh, a pretty powerful feeling. So one of the things that I sometimes struggle to explain to people, and and maybe you can help me with this, Dr. Hamilton. I don't know if you used them both, but but we have both the Edmund Pettus Bridge as a graphically designed 3D model so that students can hold hands and walk across it together and, and hear the story from Congressman Lewis. Or you can experience the 360 right. field trip. Did, did you use both of those? I did both. Yes, I did both. Uh, how, how would you explain the difference? Um. I, the 360 video, uh, like I say, I liked, I liked it better because it was like, it was actually like you can reach out and touch uh, the marches or, or where you were going and you saw what they went through. Uh, the um, Edmund Pettus Bridge, the uh, makeup of the scene, uh, it was still good because one of the, my uh, students said that this is exactly how the bridge looked. Uh, that you know, yeah, that when y'all made it up is exactly how it looked because he's been on the bridge and things like that. So both of them were a great experience, but I think the like the 360 video actually gave that real time look into what they went through, how they marched, and the the sun beaming on your head and things like that to right. give you that kind of like you know, okay, I'm you know, this is hot out here. I'm marching down <laughs> to Montgomery. So yeah, it, I think that give you a more, like say a, a real live experience than the, uh, than the uh, set. I think I would explain to viewers also that in the 360 field trip, you're, you can't walk across the bridge. You're going to be able to look around and see at different points across the bridge. Right. But in the in the 3D model version of it, you can actually walk across it and move right. across it just like they did. So, so they all have different advantages. And so let's, let's move uh, Dr. Morris to the concept. You, 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 you're coming from the real world and you've got this syllabus or this course that you've taught for, you know, maybe a few years. And now you're saying, okay, I want to have weekly lessons on the Metaversity campus. How do you think about that? How do you approach that as you are figuring out those specific lessons? So two things. We worked with, when Renee was with us, she gave us a very intense spreadsheet where we had to take all of the content that is on our syllabus. So our syllabi have week to week lessons on them anyway. So we know what student learning outcomes we're going to need this week. We know what unit we're going to be in. And so we took that information, put it in another spreadsheet and said, if I had to teach this lesson in this virtual world and I had everything at the accessible to me, how would I teach it different? And so then we started putting out what we thought the, the next scene would be. So for me, I wanted my students to be in space. You have to have astronaut training to be in space, but in virtual reality, you can be in space. 
So Beam Me Up, Scotty, that was a part of it. So you write the script. You write the script of what you want your three-dimensional environment to look like. And then you write what your assets are, 3D assets are, things that need to come into the space in order for students to be able to build the skill that they want to build to work cooperatively together that aren't already built into that space. So for me, it was, okay, we need atoms. We need uh, bonds. So single bonds, triple bonds. We need to be able to put lone pairs there. So we need that there. Um, I want them to see what alpha and beta particles look like because that's a part of that lesson. I need them to be able to speak together. So I need a space where they can can understand what a lesson, what's going on in the lesson. So I'm gonna need chairs for enough students to be in that space. But then I'm also gonna need a, a huge screen because I want to play at least a snippet of a video giving them instructions. Or I wanted to give them an idea or some background on what they were about to embark on. So you, you just put your assets, what do I want in this space? But it's all about really, how can you imagine that lesson taking place and writing it down? So we put all those things in the spreadsheet. And then we had another session where we all would come together, our entire team, Obel, uh, Dr. Hamilton, Dr. Vereen, Dr. Clark, myself, and we would place these things that were now in the, as IFX objects in the space save it as a snapshot and then see if we could bring it back up into space in, into the space. Um, and that's, that's kind of the next step, but in order to carve it out week to week, take and, and, and you know what student learning outcomes you need to meet, create the scene that you think you can integrate all of these in and then write down what assets you feel like you need. Either Victory XR would create them for us or find the assets for us and make sure that they were available in the catalog. And then it was up to us as the professors. And we learn all of this through the certification program is to augment the, the world within the virtual reality space, how we wanted it to look for our students when they came in. And you all trained us how to do all of that through the professional certification. Wonderful. And uh, Dr. Hamilton, you combined both lecture and experiential learning. Could, could you give us two or three specific examples of, of uh, places you went, things that you did while, uh, while you were allowing students to learn experientially? Yes, uh, definitely, uh, like St. History 1, um, or History 112, um, one of the ideas that we had um, basically was I did a courtroom uh, with the virt uh, in virtuality. We had the courtroom, and so what I did was um, I set up the courtroom with some communist artifacts on one side and capitalism artifacts on the other side, and I brought the students in. So one student group argues for communism, the other student group argues for capitalism. So we get that debate going on which is better, capitalism or communism, and so they're able to debate, research on capitalism, research on communism, and bring their argument up to, like I say, into the courtroom. And of course, I'm the judge and the jury and executioner. And so we decide on who wins the debate on which is better, capitalism or communism. And that was one uh, one, uh, one uh, classroom that I had. The other classroom I had was, like I say, also World War II, where we were, where Victor XR had created the battleship. And so what I did was I added, uh, I added submarines, I added uh, torpedoes, I added ships and explosions uh, during the whole scenario. But since I'm a former naval, retired naval officer, 
I, I was able to give them uh, a real life experience because I know the commands on the ship. I know the, the language of the ship to teach them that you don't say wall, you say bulkhead. It's, you don't say floor, you say deck. Uh, you say man overboard. And they, you know, to give them some kind of experience of being on a ship and what kind of ship life it was and what those sailors went through in trying to battle on the ship. And certain things you don't say and certain, and certain things you, uh, you, know, you want to make sure that you say clearly because you can kill somebody. And things like that to give him <laughs> the uh, reality of the situation, and uh, like I said, also the rally in battle. So that was a uh, one experience, and then I was also I showed them through the World War One Museum as well. Uh, we walked around the museum, and then we also uh, uh, like I said, experienced uh, um, the uh, other the 360 on the battlefield as well. And so to give them, uh, like I said, an idea. Uh, oh, and also we had we did the bombing over Germany as well. Oh. On the on the video with the British plane, uh, the, we were sitting in the plane and watched them bomb Germany at the time as well. So all those added up to a great lecture experience, and then also we applied it uh, when we went to, into virtual reality. Yeah, that uh, that bombing over Germany is very right. very stressful. <laughs> that was uh, that, that's quite the deal. I I've been in that one a couple of times. So um, we've got I mean, so people who are teaching now have it a fair amount easier than you. I mean, I, I don't think I'm never going to call it easy, but uh, every, we have th everything cataloged and in a search library on our homepage at victoryxr.com. So, and, and just for everyone's knowledge, we have over 7,000 3D modeled assets, you know, from molecules to human organs to Harriet Tubman's pistol, all these amazing assets and adding more literally every single day, we're adding more to that library. And then we have almost 70 rooms. And, and uh, by the time most people watch this, we'll, the Galapagos Islands and the HMS Beagle will be uh, live as a, as a room as well. So um, talk a little bit, Dr. Morris, about how you used the search tools to find, uh, or how at least how you would recommend people use their search tools to find what they're looking for. And then uh, I'm gonna throw that same question to you, Dr. Hamilton, if you have something to add. So for, for me, what, what I think that people should really do is, like I said, write down what assets you're looking for in that space. Because even if the exact asset isn't there, there's always something that is very similar and can be repurposed or used for your purposes. And then you can actually augment a lot of different objects to um, yourself. So I can create what I really want. So say if there's a gray chair that I, I particularly want in this particular scene and it doesn't have a Morehouse logo on it, but I wanted to have a Morehouse logo on it, right? I could bring it in as an IFX object and then I'll you're saying bring the logo in, bring the chair in and then put a logo on it. Is that on what you're it. saying? Yeah. So you, you can do those kinds of things um, to change up what you see. You can bring in different shapes to make it look a little different, save it as a snapshot and then bring it back up um, as that whole object. So there are a lot of things that you can do if you don't see those assets. But for me, it was all about writing out what I wanted and then going and searching the library to see if they had them. The thing about the library is sometimes it takes a little time. You have to know the category that you're looking at. And sometimes the category isn't always obvious to you, but now you can also add audio to the background as well. You can add and change the sky. So if it's light, you can make it dark, you can make it foggy, uh, you can change the temperature conditions, those kind of things. So all of that is, is 
all new and relatively fun that you can do more with the environment, even once it's built. So, um, but my main recommendation is write down everything you need. Write down everything you need that you feel like you're going to use and then search the library. So search for objects or furniture or science. You can search by the mathematics, biology, chemistry, or you can search by history or architecture. Um, just depends on what you're looking for. Buildings, uh, sound, all well, of those I would say this, we just, roll, we just rolled out the new version of the search tool uh, just a few weeks ago, and it's much better than it was. So uh, we're trying to make life easy. Dr. Hamilton, what would you add? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, like, I said, like she was saying, uh, just uh, like I said, using the search tool to find out what you want. Um, but like I say, we, we were the earlier parts where it wasn't so good. But what I did was <laughs> I stayed in there. for I think uh, it took me about three hours to build a battleship. But I worked on it. But again, once you do it, you don't have to do it anymore. Like she said, you just bring it up uh, and recall it again. And you don't have to <clears throat> worry about uh, doing all that work over again. So you already have it saved uh, within your uh, mechanism. So you can just pull it up. But uh, again, you uh, what it taught me is to improvise. Like I said, I, you didn't have any torpedoes uh, on the IFS object. So what I did, I used a rocket and put it under the water to simulate a torpedo. <laughs> You didn't have, and I think you didn't have any green lights because I was trying to, like I said, you don't say right and left on the ship. You say port and starboard. So the starboard represents a green light. So I did a light and I turned it green. I put the color green <laughs> to make it simulate the ship's lights and things like that. So like I say, it caused you to be creative and doing things. And, uh, and, and it just gives you an idea of what you can do. And like I say, if you work on it and you're willing to work and, and put the time in, uh, it's, it's just a limited unpo uh, possibilities that are open to you that are not uh, open to you in a, just a regular uh, static classroom. Yeah, I and this next part is very important. I wanna, this is probably the last thing we'll have time to cover, but um, I tell people that working on the, uh, in the platform is a lot like your phone, your iPhone, your Android phone. You know, you can just use it basically, right? You can just get in there and make a phone call. Yeah. You know, maybe take a photo, really the basics. Mm -hmm. But when you really dig into your phone, you find there's you know hundreds of things, thousands of things you can do with it, and the more you learn, the more you know the more tools are available to you. So, uh, Dr. Hamilton, then Dr. Morris, talk to a little bit about your recommendations on that process to to learn how to teach. You know, obviously we're going to provide instruction, but I know you went well beyond the instruction. Yeah, like I say, I would just say, like say, if you're uh, doing the training, uh, looking at the trainings. Uh, reading the uh, information, the guides and things like that on how to bring in objects, how to pull up objects and things like that. It, like I say, it takes time. It takes a little bit of training as well. But if you're willing, like say, to put in the work and like say, uh, even after the trainings, I, I stayed up, you know, uh, some nights uh, trying to get my class ready, trying to put objects in and make sure the class is ready for the students. So it just like say uh, you uh, it's like with everything else you get used to when you start getting working it and started doing it. Uh, then it becomes like second nature to you. So uh, like I said, the more you practice, the better you get at it and the more you uh, have available to you. And it's like you say, like the iPhone, you just start studying it and going into things and things just start opening up to you. So, and uh, you got to be careful. Like I say, I told, I think I told one of you, it gives you like a God complex. And what I mean like that, because you, you like God creating these universes, <laughs> the universes <laughs> the inside because you created them and, and things like that. Little G God, not big G God. 
but yeah, it's like I say, the more you practice and the more you uh, uh, are available to, uh, the more things uh, come available to you, it just uh, only increase your ability to teach and your ability to facilitate. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Morris. Yes. So my biggest advice, um, if you if you would look at me on the screen, you will see that I have a very long and graceful neck right now. <laughs> no, but seriously, one of the things that I did to prepare is neck exercises. So listen, one of the things that and it was written in an article that some of us complained about was just having to have something on your head because we're just not used to it, right? We're just not used to having something on your head. So literally just, just roll your neck, stretch your neck, roll your shoulders, stretch your shoulders, you know, making literally that helped with me being able to wear my headset and sit in it. But I can tell you what, it is so much more comfortable to create in your headset, in a chair, leaning back. So a lot of times we feel like we have to have all these rigid rules. But the thing about this headset is once it's on your head, you can sit back and relax in your chair. You can lay down on your bed. I lay down on my bed a lot and just lay and the it's going to put the display right in front of your head, your, your face. So I learned how to just like pop my pillows up under my arms and lay there and just go into creation mode. It was fun. So Saturdays are for relaxing and for creating in VR. And so I can tell you now that your first lesson might take you three hours. Your second lesson might take you two and a half. Now I can go and augment a whole world in like 15 minutes. I can go and shoot a video, get a class ready and have everything in there in a few minutes. A lot of things that we did too was we worked together as a team. So work with your teams. Don't have people um, separated because of their disciplines. We, Dr. Hamilton is history, but he was in my classroom saying, now where you said this periodic table is supposed to go on the wall, you know, and helping me with my space. Same thing with Dr. Clark and Dr. Uh, Vereen in biology. They're not chemists, but they know me and they know where I wanted things. And I was the director and they were helping me put things where they needed to go. Many hands always make light work. So don't go at it alone. If you need someone that you feel like knows how to do a thing, because I didn't know how to turn the objects with my left hand. Like for whatever reason, I just couldn't get it right. And we practiced it and we practiced it and practiced it. Another thing that I say is to make sure that if you are nervous or if you are struggling and you want to try it, feel free. You can record yourself in this space, record yourself and watch yourself, watch how you present, watch how you look, watch how you bring out objects. And that's what made me better was that I was like, oh, they have a recording mechanism. I can record myself and play it back and watch myself do it. So then I could be the student and see how I was like how my message was landed. Like, oh, that didn't land. Okay, so when I go in, let me make sure that I do this first. Or it helped me prepare. Okay, so on my tablet or on my link with my media that I have, I need to have it in this particular order. I need to sort real quick and then put this out, make sure that everything is out in a particular way. But it helps you define what your strategy is going to be more, you know, better. Like, and it, it, it provides a better learning environment for not just you, but also your students. So be a student of yourself 
are your avatar. Be a student of your avatar, professor. And that will be very helpful. Collaborate with your people, even if they are in different disciplines. Don't go at this alone. Uh, reach out for support and help. Victory is always willing to support and help me, Dr. Hamilton. I'm sure we can you know, help you out if we have breaks in our schedule and just sit and see what you have. But don't be afraid to take a chance at what might be. Uh, the worst thing is you'll laugh at yourself, but your students will still get the experience exposure of this technology. They will feel like they're doing something new. It'll be invigorating, captivating. It will engage all parts of their mind and their ability to learn. And the thing is you will go into that space and your students will also teach you some things because if you give them room to play, they'll bring their ideas to, to the environment and it makes for a fuller experience. Wonderful. Okay. I know I said that was the last question, but Dr. Hamilton, you're going to take us out. Last question. And then we're wrapping this up. Um, Dr. Hamilton, you taught the exact same course in a brick and mortar class, Zoom and your Metaversity campus. And then you compared the results of student engagement, student satisfaction, and student performance. Could you just tell us real quick what you learned from comparing those three teaching locations with uh, on, on those three standards? Okay. Yes. Um, and the uh, the uh, the platform we used was our learning management Blackboard instead of Zoom. And some teachers did use Zoom, but I used Blackboard, uh, which was our online course. Um, but the online course, Blackboard, the traditional classroom, like coming to class and the virtuality class, I saw an increase in, uh, like, say, performance on essays, performance on tests, uh, enthusiasm, <laughs> excitement, <laughs> motivation. Uh, those are all key things that went up in the students when we were in virtuality. And I think it because uh, one thing, uh, it was a different, uh, it was a different technology. It was a different innovation, but it also had that what we call the wow factor as well, they, that this is not just any ordinary classroom. This is not just sitting in the classroom, this to instruct them. This is not just being online in Blackboard or Zoom. This is actually, I can participate. And like uh, Messina, she likes to lay down and things, but I like to be active. It's like I'm in a video game. Uh, I used to play a lot of video games, Tekken and things like that, but virtuality makes me, puts me in that video game, actually in the video game now. And so I think that uh, that showed a lot of students were enthused because a lot of those guys are in video games and things like that as well. And so they were more enthused and more uh, actively participating in the classroom and actually engaging in the classroom. Well, in virtuality classroom, in the virtuality classroom. Because of your leadership, the higher education will never be the same. So I, I think uh, moving forward, people will uh, be relying more and more on your expertise and uh, will recognize that the great effort that uh, four professors at Morehouse College put in to uh, change higher education. So on that note, thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, visiting with you again and have, uh, have a great fall semester. <laughs>